Welcome to Real World Recess, a real world podcast. We're here to celebrate the everyday victories of grown up life, and just as importantly, to pay forward all the things we've learned from failing along the way. We may look like grown ups, but we promise we still look forward to recess. Genevieve. And I'm Jillian, and this is Real World Recess. So today we're here with Morgan Von Steen. Um, thanks so much for being here today, Morgan. Morgan is the founder and CEO of SuperSystem, a nonpartisan platform for government services and information that's launching later this year. Prior to starting SuperSystem, Morgan was the executive assistant Emily Weiss, the founder and CEO of Glossier, a wildly popular and a company that I love personally. I think Jillian's in the same boat. Yes. Um, skincare and beauty products company inspired by real life. Um, Morgan has been a wonderful friend of Real World Playbook since the early days, and we're so excited to have her on the show today. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, so to start things off, we'd love to hear a little bit more about when, like, how, your story and to start at the beginning. Uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I was pretty certain I wanted to be a fashion editor at a fashion magazine um, almost from the beginning. I mean, everyone has that like thing that they wanted to do when they were like five. That was a veterinarian. I very quickly <laughs> realized I was terrible at math and science um, and really, really interested in fashion. So kind of devoted my life. And when I say devoted my life, that was not an exact duration. Like I was so um, crazy for learning literally everything one could possibly learn about the fashion industry. And um, I I grew up around the same time that the Devil Wears Prada came out. And there was this trope constantly pushed on us um, about working in the fashion industry that like a million girls would kill for this job. I mean, that's like one of the iconic lines from, <clears throat> from the movie. And so being a like um, teenager in North Carolina with no connections to New York, not just the fashion industry, um, and no money. I was like, I have to consume every resource I possibly can so that when I get to New York, I'm the girl that like gets the job that a million people would kill for. Um, and then I got here and, and realized that, um, I had probably (laughs) overprepared. Um, And so uh, I started working in fashion in 2014 before eventually moving on to Glossier. Amazing. And you talked about growing up in North Carolina. What was that like and what influenced you to move to New York or what was exciting about the idea of moving to New York? New York always kind of felt like home. I mean, it still does, obviously, for different reasons now, but um, this is so embarrassing. Um, But I remember in the fourth grade, like, calling New York, like, the homeland. I, I had, like, posters of it. There was, I had a, a subway map that my aunt had brought back from New York, and I put it on my wall, and I would look at it, like, trying to memorize the subway before I was ever privy to it. Um, moving to New York was, like, always the number one thing. Like, uh, there was never a, a point in my life in, in which I ever imagined myself living anywhere else. Um, so... Like, I just felt so out of place in North Carolina and such an, a weird internal pull to moving moving here. Um, and so that's how I ended up here. Um, kind of after my freshman year of college, 
which I did in North Carolina just through like an unfortunate series of events. I ended up getting rejected from FIT, which is pretty easy school to get into. Um, <laughs> um, I just decided I would move here and find a job like later. I, it was just that was the non-negotiable. So you you get off the plane in New York and what like is it does it live up to the fantasy is it what you expected so <clears throat> I moved here for the first time when I was 16 um I was interning at fashionista.com which is a fashion news website um and spent my summer literally just running around the city like chasing as many stories as possible um and that summer like changed my life. I was kind of depressed in high school, um, as one is when they are working very hard towards a goal they can't actualize. So I was spending all this time, like I said, maniacally studying the fashion industry and uh, couldn't do anything about it. It was like I had so much uh, potential energy that wasn't being exercised. So when I got to New York, um, it really brought me out of a fog in a way that uh, I like cherished that summer very, very deeply. Um, and. Yeah, like I still, even in the summer in New York, kind of think of it through the same eyes of of when I was 16. It has this like nice sepia tone on it. Um, remembering like I have moments all the time where I'll walk down street corners and remember the first time I was on that street or like the first time I visited that like very famous store or um, the first time I saw that like person who walks around with a cat on their head. Um, <laughs> that I, it like, it's still like a really... Um, like, magical experience for me. It is very much, like, uh, exactly what you mentioned about um, it living up to the hype. I always wish that there was, like, an app or something that would let you visualize New York at different times in, like, the history of the city where you could peel back, like, the CVS that used to be a bank that used to be, like, it would be so cool to be be able to, like, walk through the city in, like, you know, the 1920s. Totally. And New York lends itself so well to that because the geography hasn't changed at all. It's just gotten mm-hmm. taller and taller and things are built on top of each other. But the buildings are sometimes the same. Um, so, like, I know there's, like, a CVS in the West Village that used to be a bank that before that was, like, a Russian bath. And they all sort of yeah. – the history just keeps building on itself in the way that every corner, the whatever was on it might change, still has that memory of, like, exactly what was there before. Yeah, I, I started listening to this podcast, Bowery Boys, mm. in which they just talk about history of New York, and it really has, like, uh, changed the way I kind of, like, see the city. It's like, how many people died in this building? <laughs> <laughs> so you maybe didn't want to know. <laughs> yeah, certainly not. <laughs> Too much information. Um, in terms of when you were sort of researching, you said maniacally all the fashion, the fashion world. Like, how were you going about that research process? I mean, presumably it was before there was, like, Instagram and such a live feed of, I mean, it's Fashion Week this week. Like, I could basically sit there and watch shows if I wanted to without having to be in the room. How did you go about, like, seeking out that information? Yeah, it was actually a really funny process. Um, It was right in the same time that, like, digital media was really becoming, like— obviously the the place that we got news versus print media. So I started reading, I remember it being 12 magazines, like cover to cover, every caption, every like story, every month, um, and then started picking up on like news websites. So I still remember the first time I read fashionista.com, which became a really pivotal publication for me, obviously from a research perspective, and also I ended up working there. Um, I remember thinking it was one person because the idea of like a news organization was really a uh, news organization on- online was really, like, different to me. Um, and being like, wow, this girl just, like, updates all of these stories all the time. That's so fascinating. Um, so I was reading pretty much 
every like fashion blog I could get my hands on. Um, I know at at the time um, when Google Reader died, RIP, I miss it dearly, uh, I was reading around 400 posts a day. So that came in the form of like people's style blogs to uh, to news or like articles to features pieces. Um, and I still remember the day that they they killed Google Reader which was kind of like my my lifeline, I had read 250,000 articles through the platform. Um, So it was mostly just uh, maniacal research in the sense that um, I wanted to be the most well-versed and would go and find and seek out every piece of uh, information I could possibly absorb. Um, What was the second part of your question? Just around the... Yeah, just how you went about sort of researching and then... Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this will be a good podcast soundbite. Um, it's really <laughs> embarrassing. But uh, so this is also around the same time that Twitter was starting to uh, to come about. Um, and I recognized pretty early that I had a really unique name. My last name is uh, Vonstein. Um, it's two words. It's not unique enough to the point where you'd be like, what does, what does that mean? But unique enough to, if you saw it enough times, you would recognize it. Um, so what I would do is just follow literally any fashion person that was on Twitter at the time, which was still pretty early, and tweet, like, at them. Um, just random stuff, like, uh, like responding to potentially tweets that they had posted or articles they had written, et cetera, so that I would had developed these, like, uh, relationships pretty early on via the internet. Um, and so... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Around the same time, I was working at a Cold Stone Creamery, um, which also became very pivotal to my life. Uh, when you work at Cold Stone, you have to sing when people tip you. Um, I am a terrible singer, um, like terrible. Uh, and so I wrote a rap that um, I would sing for, I would rap for customers. Um, it would gross my highest tips. It was great. I could like literally juice my revenue um, by performing <laughs> almost like a like the people on the subways, and uh, <laughs> I still I still don't know what in my brain made me go, huh? I wonder if I should rap about fashion editors and if they'll take meetings with me because I do that. Um, yeah. So I started writing raps about fashion editors, like people that I was really enamored by. Little unbeknownst to me, these people were not celebrities. Um, they were just celebrities to me. These people uh, were just people who worked normal jobs at like Condé Nast or Hearst. Um, and I was so excited about them. Um, so I would write these raps and then put them on YouTube and tweet at them. Um, and that's how I like made my first connections kind of in the fashion industry was uh, doing something super weird. Um, really not like uh, something I would recommend to anyone as much as it was just a perfect intersection of the time and place and, and the way I went about it. Um, but they would like give me tours of their magazines and like sit down with me and like hear about my hopes and my dreams, etc. And that's um, kind of became the foundation for my career in the fashion industry. Um, and it's how I got my internship at fashionista.com at 16 um, because they should not have been hiring a 16-year-old which ties actually really nicely into uh, me working at Glossier because I met Emily that summer uh, because Into the Gloss was um, in the same building. And so I would use the bathroom on the eighth floor. We were located on the ninth floor and just introduced myself to her over and over and over again until she started recognizing me. And um, that is when I met her in 2012. 
most importantly, did she make you rap for the interview? <laughs> um, she did not make me rap for the interview. Um, Fashionista, actually, I wrote the rap uh, before they gave me the position, and I didn't send it to them until afterwards. So I'd, I'd kind of already gotten it. Um, I'd kind of already gotten the internship before I, I had to um, literally perform for it. Um, <laughs> but they en- they ended up uh, posting on the website. Um, and I actually never wrote one. Maybe I should still write one maybe for her birthday or something um, about Into the Gloss or uh, Glossier and Emily. Yeah. Well, this is a good transition into what you're working on now. Because we were before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about demo days and startups. And I think you've just come up with your demo. I think it's um, yeah. I'll just wrap yeah. it. Just wrap the super system pitch. I I'm not gonna lie. I could probably do that. I just don't know if anyone would ever take me seriously again. <laughs> uh, I have to walk in these rooms and and be like what people imagine to be a government tech founder, which I don't. I don't know if we really have like a, a paradigm for that yet. So um, I always try to portray the like most serious person, like most serious version of myself. However, in reality, I am like the person who raps to get opportunities. So why not do that for like a pitch meeting? <laughs> Someone call it growth hacking. <laughs> yeah. So I, we can relate. Um, tell us a little about how you went basically from fashion and into the gloss and glossier to government technology. Yeah, so um, after that summer at Fashionista, I went back and finished my um, my degree and my high school degree um, for my senior year. Moved to New York another summer to work at Nylon Magazine and Fashionista again. And then because I got rejected from FIT, um, went back to a state school for about eight months. Um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, moving to New York was like non-negotiable. Um, I was not planning to finish my degree at my school. Um and was going to move regardless. However, um, I was flying up to New York every fashion week, um, which are in September and February, and uh, using like money that I was, I was still working at Cold Stone at the time. Um, I worked there for three years. Um, That's a lot of lots wraps. Of wraps. Lots of wraps. That's <laughs> a lot of wraps. Um, and so I would sleep on a yoga mat. I, in my friend's dorm room at FIT, actually, um, and would just stand outside of the, like, shows and introduce myself to people I'd recognized or people I'd rapped about before. Um, I would sometimes... Real talk. <laughs> I, like, one or two times, I think, I performed outside of the shows for someone I had, like, written a rap about. Let's forget those days, but I guess I'm, like, for... Uh, total I'm, hustler. I'm putting I them on it. a podcast now, so <laughs> it's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Um so I remember one specifically, an editor at Lucky Magazine, um, it was right around the time that Kanye Nast ended their internship program, which was what I was really banking on, uh, uh, how I was going to become an editor at Vogue or Teen Vogue. Um, and I was talking to her about how sad I was about that. And she, like, I think the literally the only reason I was going to college was that I could be eligible for that college credit that uh, the internship required, the Kanye Nast program required. Um she was like, oh, you should just become one of our freelance fashion assistants, which was kind of the position that would, had replaced it. They were a paid freelance position in which you worked full time in like the fashion closet is essentially like a glorified mailroom um, for clothing. And um, I think she had taken that as a suggestion, but I was like, oh, no, you're going to give me that job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like would follow up with her like monthly Um I remember that being February Fashion Week, and I had planned to move to New York in May. Um, And so uh, I was lucky, pun intended, I guess, um, (laughs) that one of the positions opened up around the same time I was planning to move. 
And I think I interviewed for it two weeks before I moved here um, and and ended up starting that job in May 2014. Um, you would ask me how I transitioned from fashion, fashion to, to government technology. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting... So I worked at Condé Nast for um, about six months, and um, it was a weird experience because I had spent um, so much time preparing to, like, do that job and and would imagine myself, like, walking up to the office every day to go sit at a desk at Condé Nast um, and got there and, and hated it. Um, it was so, like, such a jarring experience to, to want something for so long and you get it and it, it like, just doesn't. It's not something you wanted, really. Um, and so I was there only for six months, um, and then went freelance. Um, I was working at J. Crew again. I was uh, doing um, special events part time at at Teen Vogue. Um, I uh, was working doing production for New York Magazine's The Cut. Um, and around the same time, Glossier had raised its Series A, the ten million dollars. Um, so at Kanye Nast, I was making $8 an hour, which is now illegal, um, very illegal. Um, and the idea that someone would hand you $10 million to start a company was like the wildest thing to me. It sounded like the most amount of money I'd ever heard of in my life. And I was really kind of enamored by Emily. Um, so I saw what she was doing with Into the Gloss and Glossier as the future of um, fashion media, a, a industry that I had kind of banked my career on, but was starting to see crumble very slowly. Um, and so I uh, made it my 2015 New Year's resolution to make her my mentor. Um, I hadn't spoken to her since 2012, um, since I was introducing myself in the bathroom. And I basically applied for an internship at Into the Gloss and started working there three days a week and really like fell in love with the company as a whole. Um, and as I was working there, her assistant at the time started to work more with the product development team. Um, and I started, I like recognized that that position was about to open up. So despite meeting literally zero of the qualifications, I didn't have a college degree, didn't have any executive assisting experience, um, couldn't legally drink, um, <laughs> which if you if you know Glossier, we like, like to throw a good party. Um, so uh, I asked them to consider me, and thankfully she was like, I'll put you on a three-month trial, and that became three and a half years of my life. Um, so where government technology filters into that is actually quite funny. Um, after the 2016 election, um, I wasn't really shocked by the results. I actually grew up uh, in the way that a lot of people in New York were. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, obviously, and uh, was used to being in conservative environments, so um it wasn't jarring to me that Hillary Clinton uh, lost the race. Um, and the thing that really shocked me is the fact that I was privy to more resources than I'd ever uh, had in my life. Like I was sitting next to people who went to Harvard Business School or uh, talking to people like at bars who um, worked for CNN or uh, NBC, et cetera. Um, I was in, an, like, an educational, um, like, a bubble, a wealth of education, and I recognized that I personally did not feel um, smart enough to talk about government, um, and they didn't feel smart enough to talk about government, these people who were higher educated than anyone I'd ever met in my life. Um, so I started to realize that there was a real fundamental lack of um, nonpartisan, facts-based resources to make understanding and, and interacting with government really easy. And that 
haunted me. Um, I had always kind of thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I thought I might start a company one day. Um, I was never intending to do one just to, to like, do a company. I, I knew it was going to be something that um, I felt really passionate about. And when the idea for Super System came up, um, and I, I just remember thinking, God, that is such a good idea. I really hope someone builds that. Like, I really hope someone does. Um, I don't have the government experience. I don't have the tech experience. I don't have a college degree. I'm too young. I'm a woman. Like, this is not the company that I would start. Like, this is not my next move. Um, and it would be the thing that just, uh, like, lingered in my thoughts when I was on the subway, like, staring off into, like, the void. Um, it would be the thing that would come up when I would think, I'm really dreading um, applying for a passport. I don't even know how to do that process, despite the fact that 21.1 million people apply for passports every year. Um, it's still kind of an opaque, like, what's going to happen? And so <clears throat> um, I remember it was October 2017. I was walking in Soho. So this is the part of the story that gets really cliche. Um, uh, the, the like light was shining through the trees. I remember exactly what I was wearing too. Um, and I passed by a Lululemon store. Um, it's on Prince street and in the window at the time they had this gold lettering that said, uh, what would you do if you could not fail? So I've like been on Pinterest once in my life. Like I've seen that before, but it, just in that moment, it really like hit me. And I remember, um, I've always kind of tried to like tap into my intuition and, um, my intuition answered, hmm. If I couldn't fail, I would build that government tech company. And that's when I realized that um, despite the fact that I am not the person to do it, I am have spent 10 years being the person who needed this product and thus would know what uh, myself, the next person, the person behind me in line checking into this building, um, which happened literally 20 minutes ago, um, we all, I knew what we didn't know. Um, and that's when I started working on it. I registered the domain, domain in that Sunday and just spent uh, over a year typing stupid questions into Google, which turned into uh, smart questions, um, which turned into stupid emails to smart people, which turned into smart emails to smart people, um, which turned into compiling uh, large swaths of data that I could not believe didn't exist in, in a like, central, nonpartisan place. Um, and teaching myself sketch and envision to develop something that launches next month. So, so exciting. So, I mean, what's so amazing about your story is that you're, you've are you just been figuring things out constantly from the very beginning, figuring out what you wanted to do, how to get to New York, how to start this company, how to join this company. How did you do that? Did you have people you looked to for answers? Did you Were you constantly just learning, researching? How did you figure so many things out? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I wish I had like a... Um, a website you should go to to, like, <laughs> to do that. Maybe you guys are creating it. Um, it was really like it's it's just kind of intrinsic to to me. Um, I'm sorry that's not like a helpful answer to someone who might be like listening to this, but I I realized that you just have to keep going. Mm -hmm. Like um, something that became important to me, uh, important to like my success up until this point, really early on, is not being afraid to look stupid. I.e literally writing raps about people. Um, I'm very afraid of looking stupid in that circumstance right now, but... Uh, uh, we won't ask you to rap on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you Promise. so much. This um, is a safe space. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I think the minute that you uh, come at something with, like, an earnestness, like, a, a real genuine love and curiosity, 
and uh, ask people questions that they can't find on Google, um, that you can't find on Google, uh, from a, a point of like genuine um, like interest, uh, most people are willing to help. Um, and that comes from a place of being willing to ask and potentially get rejected. I ask every single question and write every single email with the intention that I will I will get a no 10 times faster before I get a, I get a yes. And um, it's been really fruitful. Um, so if you're not afraid to look stupid, if you're not allowed to like, if you're not afraid to sleep on a yoga mat, like things, opportunities do come like, uh, uh, it did come my way, like just because, um, I cared really, like I, you could see it in the way that I spoke about it or talked about it or asked a question. Um, and so, um, it was just about finding, like I said earlier, the right the smart person to answer my stupid question um, and not being afraid to ask that stupid question, I guess, is the learning. What's something that you had to figure out maybe the hard way, like by failing and then being like, oh, I should have done it this other way. It would have been so much easier. Whew. I mean, everything as Emily's assistant. Um, she was very patient with me. Um, I hadn't learned how to be an adult yet. There was no uh, real world playbook at the time. Um, so... I failed so much during my first year um, as her assistant, um, like learning even how to book travel properly. Um, I come from a family that uh, tra would travel maybe once every two or three years, um, and we would book flights like seven, eight months ahead of time. Like the idea of booking flights minute to minute um, was still new to me and, and understanding how like even the granularities of that process worked. I also learned the hard way that um, uh, getting a job, like I said, that you didn't realize was actually going to be miserable, like working at Condé Nast was for me. Um, that was a really tough learning experience in which I never thought I'd be like talking about how uh, much it benefited me on a podcast one day, um, mostly because it feels so big in the moment. It feels like all-consuming, um, but obviously I can look back. Um, it, I've definitely made so, so many mistakes, and I'm really not afraid to admit that. I find most people like like to imagine that they're perfect, but um, it's all about finding the people who are willing to give you second chances after you make those mistakes, and, and Emily was very forgiving of me. Have you been mentoring anybody else now that you're sort of making it, starting your own company, anything like that, or what are, you, what are ways that you can maybe pay it forward to the next gen? Oh, um, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of like, emails or questions, um, from friends, from, from, uh, random people on the internet asking me questions, uh, about how I got to where I am, um, or who they should talk to about what, uh, which I love being that person. I like being the person you can come to with the stupid question. I promise I won't make you feel dumb. Um, and so I end up, I end up responding to a lot of, um, I actually don't even know how they find me, to be honest, um, of people who reach out or it's um, being the person that people come to when um, they're looking for advice or career transition uh, amongst my friends. It was with someone on Saturday who he was a friend's boyfriend and um, they came out to, I live in uh, Astoria in Queens. Um, they came out to Queens to have lunch with me and, and he was struggling with what he wanted to do. Um, and it just became like asking him a series of questions uh, to help him like 
understand what he wanted to do uh, for the rest of his life, um, which I actually think is a dumb concept, to be honest, the rest of your life. Uh, five years ago, if I would have been sitting here like telling you I was starting a government tech company. <laughs> that would have been such a, a weird um, like question mark for me. Um, so I like I said, I like being the person you can ask stupid questions um, and hopefully give you a smart answer. Maybe I'll give you a stupid answer. I can't say I'm an expert on anything, but... What sort of lingering or maybe stupid, in quotes, questions do you have that remain about sort of like living in the real world, like all the adulting stuff that you sort of had to figure out along the way? Well, it's funny that you um, say that because my entire business is built around um, decoding government services for people. It's 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 explaining something like uh, how to legally change your name or how to change your gender identity or eventually we're launching how to file for divorce later this year and streamlining that process for people. Um, so I have to come uh, every day and, and feel dumb doing my job, actually. Um, I always have these moments where I'm like, trying to understand specifically a government process, like potentially registering to vote or um, applying for food stamps, et cetera. And I, whenever I have moments where my internal conscience is like, uh, Morgan, how do you not know this? You're literally the person who is helping other people do government services. Um, I recognize that that feeling is the problem. Um, the reason that I feel this way as someone who might be more well-versed than most people on doing government service uh, is, is what we're solving for. Um, so things like, uh, I remember when I met you, Genevieve, I was like, oh, I do not know how to file business taxes. Mm -hmm. I really don't know how to do Gather that. By tomorrow, it was like the day before it had to happen Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I remember... Um, having to file an 83B, which is if you're an advisor in a startup or you have startup equity, you have to file this form with the government that essentially like you pay taxes on your shares before they accrue any value. I had to file 83B or else one day I might be on the line for millions of dollars. Like that is a government process I would love to have had someone to hold my hand through, but um, I guess we have to be the change we want to see in the world. That's one I've paid forward myself. People have come to me being like, so that 83B form, I'm like, you have to send in the stamped envelope with the return address. And like one time it didn't come back. I had to call them like 400 times. I mean, seriously, you learn these crazy things that you never thought that you'd have to even go through and then have people come to you thinking you're the expert all of a sudden in the room on like this one, you know, very specific niche of like government paperwork, let alone, you know, like startup world or whatever it is that you're sort of the grown up in the room for. Yeah. It's funny to me to imagine myself being the grown up in the room for anything. But um, <laughs> I recognize that like at, at some point you do become an expert after three years of uh, talking to people and researching government technology and reading literal textbooks on it. I think I could probably call myself at least an expert on the consumer-facing aspects. So um, come to me, I guess. I'll pay it forward with helping you with government services. <laughs> well, and you've clearly done the research on all things, you know, government, real world. You've you've gone through, you know, the job application stuff you've dealt with, you know, advocating for yourself with these sort of big name people who you thought of as celebrities. What's sort of the, like, the power tool in your adulting folder, like the thing that, the resource or the platform or the app that you're like, if I could get everyone to use this service to like help make their real world life better, what would it be? This is not necessarily a service, but I try to encourage people to do it as much as possible because it has been so deeply um, fruitful for me. Uh, 
I love writing like really crazy emails. Um, And when I say crazy, I don't mean like, oh, I emailed someone who was like out of my league. No, I mean, I emailed someone like an email that has um, a beginning, a middle and an end with a narrative about uh, potentially like one specific topic. I actually emailed a venture capitalist that I was really excited about. Um, The email I think started with when we met last April, I remember telling you how I hated the word should. And the entire email was basically like why he should meet with me again um, and how I don't believe in the word should. And it was an entire narrative email um, to the, that worked really well. I'll email people with subjects lines like um, <clears throat> I emailed um, the CTO of a very famous political organization um, with the subject line uh, mutual promise, uh, mutual problems bestowed by the universe. And it was basically like how we're solving for the same problem in different ways um, and how he should take a meeting with me, which ended up uh, going really well. I emailed someone um, talking about how in an alternate reality we would be like, this wouldn't be a cold email. And basically all this, it was a, a bullet point list of all the misconnections we had kind of had and why we should like remedy that. Um, so writing something compelling that's maybe a little bit risky, especially if you come from like a creative writing background, um, has been incredible. Uh, like business development for Supersystem and and I guess my career because I've been doing this for so long. From a service perspective, um, like a, a specific um, thing I would point to is I actually kind of use Instagram as almost a CRM. Um, sorry, a consumer relationship or customer relationship management. Um, I, I think about it... Um, a little bit less like uh, rigidly in the sense that there is that Dunbar's rule, which is that you can only know 150 people. Um, and I, I refuse to believe that. Uh, I love talking to people. I'm, I'm pretty uh, extroverted and I like to rock around the city and just like run into people and, and have conversations and hear what they're up to. And I think that technology allows us to defy that, that Dunbar's principle. So um, for every person I meet, I follow them on Instagram um, so that I can constantly be reminded about their life or like what they look like, who like uh, where they're working right now, et cetera. So that when I'm scrolling, it is both kind of like a mind dump, but it also allows me to maintain relationships in a way that um, I don't think we've necessarily been able to in the past. And I would recommend that pretty highly for anyone who wants to meet someone online. just following their content and engaging with it, uh, especially if you have like a handle that, um, like I mentioned before, my name is uh, uh, recognizable, that you can um, develop a digital relationship over a long period of time, as long as you're not being really weird, um, <laughs> by just talking to people online. I mean, that's not new. That's not news, though. But still. So exciting. Well, thank you so much for coming in and for chatting with us about everything. We're so excited to have um, our listeners follow Supersystem and get excited for the launch. Uh, where can they find you? Where if they wanted to reach out to you to chat? So I'm at M Vonstein, M-V as in Victor, O-N-S-T-E-E-N. You can tell I spell that a lot for people. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, that's my email address actually, at supersystem.us. And our Website is supersystem.us if you want to follow on the wait list. Uh, like I said, we launch next month. This is recording, I guess, mid, mid, early September right now. So awesome. Thank you, Morgan. Thank Thanks. you.
For those listening and feeling like they could use a little more real-world R&R, we've got you covered. Head to realworldplaybook.com to build your playbook, look at our resources, take our course, and join our community. We're here to answer all your real-world questions. Signing off, this is Genevieve. And I'm Jillian. And this was an episode of Real World Recess. 